Nuclear Podcast. <laughs> Hi guys, and welcome to another edition of Hitchhiker's Guide to Nuclear. I'm your host Gunther, and you're right, it is our 10th podcast, so it is sort of happy anniversary, if you will. But anyway, we'll get onto that in a bit, and yes, that was Kate's voice. On this month's show, we'll discuss the ongoing Anglo-French electricity conflict, the German-Iranian connection, nuclear waste warming up the seabed, Fukushima's leaky tap, and Kim Jong-un. So, guys, it is our 10th podcast, as I just said. So, woo! Yeah! yeah. So, we... Happy birthday! So, on the show today, we've got Lizzie. Woo! Hello! We've got Kate. Hello! <laughs> hello to all you Radio 4 listeners. And Mike. Hello! Yeah, so cool. We're going to... We've got quite a packed show today. We're going to talk about a lot of stuff, but we just... Uh, before we start, obviously, want to say thanks for everyone for listening to your tweets, your retweets... Uh, your messages, your emails. Sadly, I didn't tweet people for the show asking for questions. It's quite a bit hurried this week. I've been all over the place. But uh, yeah, we hope you enjoy the show. So shall we get on with it? Yeah. 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 Woo! With EDF planning to forge ahead with construction of a new nuclear power plant at Hinkley Point, negotiations with the UK government on an electricity strike price have stalled. Do these recent developments demonstrate the government's own lack of confidence in its energy policy? And will this have a subsequent impact on the f- future of foreign investment? Let's discuss, guys. So what do we think about this one? The government have been really tiptoeing on this, haven't they, for yeah. ages? Yeah. It's just not fair on EDF, all the people who are hoping to work building yeah. a new power plant they just need to make their mind up and commit to it it's ridiculous yeah yeah, yeah and the time until the uh, the lights supposedly go off is approaching fairly soon as well yeah. and you can't yeah. just be on nuclear power station in a couple of years mm. yeah, so yeah, they have to make yeah. invested in now I think we should I mean obviously we talked about this before so for those of you who do listen to us do apologise uh, you know for sort of want to repeat it myself but for those of you who don't know so an electricity strike price is basically part of this plan for the contracts for difference isn't it so essentially, the government can set a level at which there'll be a cast iron price for electricity. Um, and what happens if this electricity strike price, if the market price falls below, then the taxpayer will subsequently pay up the difference to the supplier of the electricity. And if it's over, that means that the company has to actually pay it back into the government purse. So I think, I think the reason why it's so controversial, though, is that EDF are clearly wanting it as high as possible. I think they want... They know that the strike price will never reach like a hundred quid. Mm. I don't know, say. Mm-hmm. So they want the public mm. to be able to subsidise them. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Or, yeah. So why do you think the government is sort of tiptoeing on it, though? Do you think it's because they don't want to increase energy bills for the short term? Probably. Mm. Um, it will be subsidised by um, in electricity bills essentially to build the new plants. And yeah. They don't want to be the ones to say to do that but in the long term it'll be cheaper and they want a guarantee don't they like 30 years 40 years I think it's unrealistic personally really (laughs) why would you say it's unrealistic surprising we might have um, (laughs) other economical crises we could have all kinds of stuff happening in 30 to 40 years so how can you plan that amount of time it's unrealistic on both sides to Mm. for EDF to be wanting to make profit for uh, all that time Mm. and then for the UK government and us to have cheap electricity prices yeah, it just it's unrealistic over thirty to forty years. Yeah, I think they should have made provisions for this thirty to forty years ago, rather than exactly. trying to be worried yeah. about it now when mm-hmm. everything's deregulated and can just go to the highest bidder, basically, mm-hmm. which is now why we're completely screwed. Yeah, no, exactly. And the approach that they're taking is almost going back to uh, having a state-driven um, electricity market. Yeah. 
where the government's still deciding on the price. Yeah. And they're still selling that back to the customer. So why don't we just go to Arriva directly, buy their technology and build it? Do it ourselves, yeah. so like a nationalised... Why have a middleman EDF? I think they've just got to make the decision very quickly, otherwise we're just going to be... Well, you say this, they were trying to make the decision quickly, but unfortunately talks were forestalled almost as if, you know, she's been quite unpopular in the past for doing it. The death of Thatcher. So her death, it meant that Cameron and Holland couldn't meet up and uh, chat about it. Um, so she, let's blame Thatcher for stolen nuclear talks, hey? And privatisation. Privatisation. <laughs> but anyway, so Lord Hutton who's obviously in the House of Lords, he's actually spoken out about this in the Sunday Telegraph, uh, and he's actually the chairman of the NIA, the yeah. Nuclear Industry Association, and he said time is of the essence. EDF Energy has spent £1 billion already, and the project is at present costing the company £1 million per day. So it is a really serious situation that they're in, and I think it's... I mean, we, we saw again across the question, is, do you think it would be... Do you think this is sort of putting foreign investors off in terms of other infrastructure projects in the country? Do you think in the future they'll be like, well... So. They'll see how slow yeah. the government is to make a new decision. Yeah. yeah. Can we put them off investment? Classic coalition. I think because we were talking... <laughs> I remember... <laughs> Classic coalition. Classic coalition. <laughs> Classic. <laughs> Classic. Stand, standard textbook, textbook government. But I think that was the thing. Do you remember when we were at the Energy CDT conference, they were talking about the energy bill... And they yeah. didn't put an electricity strike price anywhere in that, so that didn't mm. instill me with any confidence. No, yeah. The fact they'd written Not a 200 page there. report or something yeah. silly, and they went, Yeah, we get to yeah. decide on the uh, strike yeah. price. Yeah, RDF will probably come to us and chat about it, but yeah. we'll figure it out. Oops. So it seems like they haven't. Yeah. I mean, Lord, Lord Hutton is literally really putting his foot down here. He. Um, he warns that failure to agree threatens not only the first new nuclear power station for a generation, but potentially all those that will come in its wake. If a deal cannot be struck for new nuclear, can it be struck for offshore wind or carbon capture and storage? So he's saying this could have a massive impact on just the energy industry yeah. at large. So I think um, a little birdie told me recently that there's going to have to be at least 50 new nuclear power stations built to sustain our energy needs in this country. So they better get the tape on. As far as I'm concerned, and also if <laughs> they keep we're just waiting, be electricityless, and people are then going to be anti-uprisings and all the rest of it. Mm. It's not going to be good. Or well, we'll have to find a replacement, a short-term replacement, yeah. which would be gas. It yeah. could be some I more wind, yeah. and it, it, the prices is always going to go again, up regardless. H- again, uh, to quote Hutton, he said, "Left to its own devices, the market would not choose to invest in capital-intensive, low-carbon infrastructure. This would lead us to a precarious, high-carbon future, increasingly dependent." On gas, yeah, so exactly. imported gas at that as well. <laughs> Could be Russian gas. Yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah but the, and he said that of course it's the it's an insane direction to take. But the fact that the government, mm. I don't know if it's wrapped up in sort of a political image thing. If they're worried that if they come out and you know, I think that I think what to reiterate this, they're worried about public image. I suppose mm. with the idea of subsidising nuclear, but I think it's even worse because before we recorded this uh, yesterday. EDF announced that they're going to be cutting a lot of jobs to actually control the yeah. cost of building at Hinkley. Yeah. So I think that's even more negative to public image, the fact that hundreds yeah. of jobs could possibly be cut as could a result be of... EDF, though. Yeah, but it's then... Dil- this has been he the said, direct result of the government and EDF sort of dilly-dallying over... One of the things David Cameron said was one of the prerequisites to go ahead with the build was to have that um, 
disposal facilities yeah. built and ready made. Yeah. Like, at least agreed to go ahead before yeah. they did it. And I think the forums of that just aren't just putting them off. Yeah, as well, well, they were touting nuclear, new nuclear yeah. as being a great source of employment. And now EDF have just said, well, we need to control the costs, so we're just going to cut a load of jobs. Yeah. That just seems like yeah. a complete to, antithesis of what yeah. they're if they arguing. To, if they need a GDF, they need to show the money to Cumbria, basically. Yeah. Again, again, though, so the repository thing, I'd argue, that was another form of indecision. Because obviously it came down to the councils, Mm -hmm. the the Cumbrian County Council, at the end of the day. But I think one of the reasons they decided they came to that decision was because the government weren't forthcoming in producing yeah. a package or an argument or saying or a compensation plan. I think a lot of the community... <laughs> yeah, well, no, yeah. I think a lot of the community were, like Finland and Sweden, yeah. expecting some sort of, like, plan or yeah. future investment plan yeah. in the community. Like a guarantee that, yeah. you know, they're going to be secured and they're going to get jobs and there's going to be money being invested into their communities. And, but the government just absolutely rubbish at doing any of these things quickly. Yeah, I mean, some, <laughs> yeah. some would argue, though, I mean, if you're sitting on the other side of the fence, though, it comes down to, especially with the repository, is taxpayers' money. So the government and the Treasury purse, like, they they say, well, well they we can't guarantee it. this because it could be that, the you know, the market and the taxation market could completely mm. change by always, the time it comes it always to... comes down to this market thing. Yeah. 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 So I'm getting really tired of, oh, we, we want, like, fair competition and everything. But for major projects where you have to put down billions of uh, pounds yeah. or dollars or euros in one project, it's unfeasible to ask yeah. one entity as a company Maybe Apple could do it, but that's about <laughs> it, honestly. Yeah. But so I mean, th- there's always going to be government input into large projects like this. So, and in this case, it seems that they really do have to foot the bill. It's quite scary, though. That I think they just haven't. They're just not aware of the fact that we are literally going to run out of electricity if nothing. Oh, but they all have their own gas generators and everything yeah, in their mansions. And, mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. No bedroom packs for them. <laughs> I mean, I, again, I, I think it's. It's something that they've got. The government have got a lot to lose from this, and EDF have because I think EDF wants to become a global energy force. Yeah. Like, it, you know, they're pretty centralised in France, aren't they? Eighty yeah, percent. Yeah. You know, you see that figure bandied about. It works. It works. It works. Yeah, but they, they want to expand, and it's not looking good on their image themselves if they're cutting. I mean, it says here they're going to be cutting 150 jobs from its 800 strong workforce uh, at Hinkley, and the fact that they say. Uh, the, the two new reactors would provide 25,000 job opportunities during construction with 900 long-term posts. So if UK want to increase employment and stuff like this, yeah. their indecision is, I, I personally think, looking a bit daft, really. I mean, yeah. they've, they've sort of got egg on their face at the moment. It, as you said, if they don't come to a decision soon, I'm not, I'm not sure what it'll turn out like. Be another laughing stock moment, if you like. Yeah, but I, I think it's a thing, though. You look at other countries, and people were saying Germany. People were saying Germany being a great champion of that they were decommissioning nuclear and they're going down a great path of renewables. But if you actually look at the statistics, they're putting more coal online and they're importing more gas. Mm. So, really, it doesn't, you know. Yeah. Like Japan look, look, as well, Japan, the same thing. They In the panic after Fukushima, mm. they, they were obviously shutting down the nuclear and now they've realised that the threat of blackouts could, they went oh crap we need to put it back on you know so I don't know it needs to be a part of it won't well I just think Germany made a decision and they did it within four 
most amount of days. I think. Yeah. At least actually, you need to respect their decision making. At least yeah. their decision making skills are like yeah. second. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they want something, okay, it's done. But that's why I love the thing about, obviously, this is off topic, but uh, what people were arguing about Thatcher was like, you know, you may have hated her policies and you may have hated who she was, but she damn well made some decisions. Yeah, she like, did. You know, you can't, yeah, no, but I think they need. Uh, <laughs> 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 so, on that note, shall we uh, move on then? Girl power, yeah! When you look for the trust that you want In the ones you don't need Falling through a simple time change Lock the doors and In Germany's industrial heartland, a recently abandoned carbon fibre fabrication plant has attracted the attention of conspiracy theorists and the media alike. Since MCS Technologies closed its doors last month, advanced machinery capable of producing components for centrifuges and missiles has been discovered at the site, as well as suggestions such equipment was intended to be shipped to Iran. I stress intended. With MCS being partly owned by a former Iranian security minister, does this case shed some light on the pitfalls of dual-use technology and the possibility that Iran may have more friends in Europe than we would initially want to believe? Mm. Deep question, guys. So, what, what, I mean, what do you think about this, then? I hope they do have more friends in Europe. Okay. Uh, <laughs> wow. Why? <laughs> I love Iran. I think they're victimised massively by the whole world. Yeah, but do you think it's a country in which the, the people themselves are a complete polar opposite in opinion to the sort of hierarchy structure? Yeah, of government? and I mean, the government are obviously quite well, extreme, government, but... but they are treated very badly by the rest of the world. Yeah, and governments, and they're just not given a chance. Governments distrust them for no reason, and they lie to them, and they promise them things, and then they go back on their word. So really, I don't think it's a wonder that they don't trust anyone in the world to do anything. But yeah, I mean, what do you no, think no. About? I agree, really. Um, I don't want to see anyone with nuclear weapons. No, I agree. But I definitely understand why the uh, the Iranians want to go that way. But they've not. They've so. not produced any. There's no evidence that they really have nuclear weapons so mm. far. Even America will admit that. Yeah, yeah. That they they have had no evidence that they've been wanting to produce or even try and make nuclear weapons since 2003. Was it? When yeah. For the time being, they want to reach 20% enrichment. Which yeah. is the uh, well, it's borderline, isn't it? It's border. yeah. that, that's the point. It's, board, it's borderline. Um, it seems, so for everyone out there, as soon as you enrich uranium over twenty, that's becoming, let's say, unnecessary um, <laughs> for, for the needs. Energy. Yeah, for yeah. nuclear energy and the needs of what they would serve. I mean, well, even research reactors, they go up to twenty percent. Yeah, 20%. yeah. yeah. I mean, the interesting point in this raises is not necessarily Iranian German politics, but the fact that this facility did have the potential to be used to actually import, uh, sorry, export goods or machinery that could actually be used by the Iranian, let's say, rogue nuclear po- programme. Um, so what do you think about this, about dual-use technology then? Do you think it's quite hard to track these sorts of things? And do you think that's a sort of challenge in the future? Or, well, they, they, or what to say about sort of nuclear security? They're clearly progressing their, their programme that is uh, for weapons or um, power generation. So they're they're clearly getting some help from somewhere or they do it in it uh, themselves in their own country within their own technology and knowledge base. 
Yeah. So it, it's very tricky to fully understand how it's progressing, what kind of help they're getting. They clearly have alliances with uh, some of the uh, the Russians or the Chinese. So maybe they're getting support, engineering support from them as well. Yeah, I mean, I should. They, they have friends. They have oil. They have gas, yeah. which means they have friends. I mean, I should, so. I should, you should take note that the MCS did actually have uh, a techno their, their technology outfit did try to export this material or machinery, and it was blocked. But it sort of demonstrates, doesn't it, the sort of dangers of dual use technology? The fact that if you're caught with it, you could argue it's being used yeah. for something else entirely, yeah. um, not sort of nefarious means. Difficult. I mean, the big, the big one as well. There's a few. I mean, there's a, there was a. I don't know what you guys think about this, but there was a, there was an incident at the Luch uranium enrichment facility, Eastern European uranium enrichment facility, and you're talking about ninety percent highly enriched uranium. You know, the stuff's like really bad, and there was a chap there who was working. He wanted a new, a new fridge and stove for his house, and he used to steal shoes and car batteries and sell them on the black market. So he thought that if he stole a little bit of this uranium every now and then, he could sell it uh, to the people who bought the car batteries and the shoes off him. And he, he nicked, this is no joke, 1.5 kilograms over a period oh of highly enriched uranium. This guy isn't a terrorist, he's just a worker. Oh so if you, guys, if you guys out there want to find more out about that story, I'd definitely watch a film called Countdown to Zero, a film that came out two years ago. And some of the stories are so crazy you would not believe, but... I don't know, what do you guys think about nuclear security? Do you think it's a big problem? Or? I don't think it's a problem. I think it's a big issue. Yeah. I think people, I think it's always going to be something that needs to be really policed in the world. Yeah, controlled and monitored. People lead by example, and we're not going to mention the Marvel country who don't do anyone any favours in this area, in my opinion. But it's hard, isn't it? Because it there's so many political issues to do with Iran, and I just think... They have every right to have nuclear energy. They're in the NPT. And they're next to Israel, that's backed by America, that has, you know, one of the countries that has the most nuclear weapons in the world. Mm. So in a way, you kind of think it's not a, a wonder why they want them, really. Yeah, and but they... I mean, look, I think, excuse, I think, I think we'll, get, we'll get more onto that when we talk about Korea, because that's yeah. sort of the centrepiece of the but Korean argument. People, but. like, you know, the big five, if they know, they have to start trying to decrease their arsenal of weapons, otherwise the rest of the world isn't going to do it either. But I think, we'll get on to it with Korea, but I think, I, I, in my opinion, in my mind, I'm surprised arguments aren't raised as to how these countries became um, aggressive towards America and stuff like that. So the prime example I've used is Afghanistan. There seems to be a common misconception about Afghanistan that Al-Qaeda and groups like that have always been against America, which isn't true. I mean, the Americans actually funded black ops and weaponry into Afghanistan. They actually armed Al-Qaeda to overthrow the government there, which was sort of a proxy war with Russia and America. Now, the, the thing is about that is the reason why Al-Qaeda became disillusioned with America was because America just simply left the country afterwards and didn't give them any money, any funding to sell mm. schools, hospitals, anything. They just left them, you know, to defend themselves. Right. And that, that sort of developed into hatred, which is, to me, if you get to that source of the problem, then... I think you'll solve the issue. I don't necessarily think it's about you've got nuclear weapons, I haven't. It's more a deep-rooted sort mm. of political and cultural problem that needs to be solved. But I don't know, we'll talk if about more in a bit about that. Everyone just sat down and talked nicely. Yeah. But we'll talk, we'll talk about that with Korea, so we're sort of getting ahead of ourselves. But I think the dual-use technology thing, as you said, Kate, it's an issue. 
and nuclear security is a problem, especially in places like Eastern Europe where you've got facilities that aren't necessarily secure, that have illicit material, you know, materials that could illicitly be exported and smuggled out of the country. But there's loads of di- there's loads of different issues around this, and uh, it's I think a if you're going, I think if you're going to police it, you need to do it in a professional, mature way, and not victimise people without any cause to. I think that's the main problem if people just go in. And, but I think this is one of the. But I think that's one of the inherent problems with dual use technology. As soon as you accuse someone of hey, this could be used in centrifuges, mm-hmm. this carbon fibre, let's say, could be used in centrifuges. Mm-hmm. It's not like they've got a ready-made centrifuge there and you've caught them red-handed. They could just turn around and say, yeah. well, listen, we're producing this for the yeah. So you're right, I think it is quite a dangerous game to play by putting a finger. But yeah. Anyway, quite an interesting story. We'll see what comes out of it. But there are more reports coming in of centrifuge technology being uh, smuggled into the country, as it were. But we'll see what happens. But Happy with that one? Yep. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. All right. Awesome. investigative report sanctioned by the German press. Some 28,000 containers holding low-level nuclear waste have been found, or have been said to have been found, on the floor of the English Channel, done by the Belgians and the British during the period of 1950 to 1963. It is estimated the barrels contained 58 gigabecquerel uh, when they were deposited in, in, the, in, in the English Channel, but do not take my word for that. Uh, the majority of these barrels are said to be intact, with Germany's Green Party calling for them to be removed as soon as possible. However, do these containers pose a viable risk to the environment, or are they simply just a drop in the ocean of pollutants? So what do we think about this one, guys? This is quite a big one, isn't it? Well, it is, but it's a, it's a big one that they've only just been found, but it's not a surprise that they're there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, that's the thing. That's what I, th- I, that's what I thought. I, 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 I was like expected them just to find like a load of people dancing and like fish just like with six eyes and sort of dancing around. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you just see the Titanic next to it, just, just like been drifted into the English Channel. <laughs> so, I mean, what? Do, I mean, this is obviously terrible. The fact they were dumping waste in the ocean. Yeah. yeah. But there is an argument out there to say that actually, it's I think, okay. yeah, in yeah. compared of what's in the ocean, it's not that much. Those few barrels, or it's a few thousand barrels. But yeah. no, you, we we need to clean things up, and we can't pick up plastic yeah. from kilometres of ocean bed. So at least if we have pollution that's contained in barrels, let's try and at least get uh, rid of those. I think yeah. you could argue yeah. that it's so like that. almost like a precursor to the idea of a repository because. <laughs> okay, d- d- right. D- I'll I'll go along this line of thinking. But they yeah, knew they knew that, no, 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 no. They knew that a natural environment could act as a barrier like radiation. Yeah. So one of the reasons they dumped it there was because they knew that the water would actually be an effective shield against all the radiation. Which I think it has been, but I think now it's in the news. I don't think they really have a choice <laughs> to, get, to get it out. I think there needs to be a conscious effort seen by. Yeah. What I find very <laughs> surprising. Come on. I mean, what I, I mean is. 
a material scientist, what I find quite shocking is if, I mean, it, it, this article, it's quite a long article, an investigative report, it doesn't actually quote what the waste containers were actually constructed of. I think they're magnox ones. Yeah, but the, the fact is if the containers are steel or something like that, you, I mean, it says they've been found intact, which... You, well, yeah. Oh, some. Yeah. They haven't yeah. found some. all of them, so yeah, maybe fact, some well, have been... This is what I love, right? This is, why I, this is why I said some 28 have supposedly been found. <laughs> found because one. they said... <laughs> No, listen to this. Some twenty-eight, five, some twenty-eight thousand five hundred containers of radioactive waste, blah blah blah, uh, have long since rusted open. Blah blah blah. That it turns out that according to the investigative report, <laughs> that they found two. So they know that all this waste is dumped down there, but they used a sub. It says that. Spiegel Online financed uh, a submarine going down there, which I find very unlikely. Uh, I've never known so journalists to go in a submarine. With a very but, eager reporter. Yeah, yeah a very eager reporter. Yeah, but well, they found a, they basically found a couple. Some of them have corroded and opened up, but I'd imagine if it's a cementitious grout that these wastes are contained in, it's not really going to move anywhere anyway. Yeah. And it's very low-level waste as well. It's not yeah. not that that's to condone what they did. No, I think I think we should stress that it's not the high-level waste. It's yeah, it's not. Mentioned. It's very low-level. It's not stuff um, that's coming out of a reactor, and it's not nasty. And it's put down there so. long before anything was signed to say you yeah. can't just dump things in the ocean. So it's yeah, like long before they done. Is there a form for this? No. no yeah. Good. No. <laughs> just imagine that a guy just... Act- I'd l- I've got that picture. Do you know where someone drops rubbish in the middle of the street and then they look around and sort of walk off? i got an image of this guy being transported on a ship to Japan or something and they're going across the channel. He accidentally leans on the side of the ship and knocks off one of the containers, looks Whoops. around, and sort of everyone else looks at him and goes, by Jove, he's got it! And they all just stop and then stop dumping it. <laughs> nailed it. Absolutely nailed it. But, um, I mean, this isn't indicative at all, is it, of, like, current yeah, current <laughs> waste management policy. It's not yeah. like it wasn't the 50s. We should 50s. stress this was probably, like, 60 years ago, probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah well, it was, like, 1963. 50s to the 60s. I mean, and this was the Belgians and the British, supposedly. Um, but, yes, they're going to have to remove it because yeah. it's, just, it's, yeah. it's, it's now not... it's national news. I think yeah. <laughs> probably international news. Especially in the channel. Yeah. Yeah. For some reason. You'd think, like, I think it was probably squash, wasn't it? Yeah. Hart McNeese, I've completely said that wrong, a German oceanic expert for removing <laughs> the waste, he said, well, if it's not too complex, then maybe it should be removed. Yeah. So I like how nonchalant he is about it. Yeah. Yeah, well, Could if do. it's there and it's still in the same place, let's just get it out. You see, but Has anyone actually bothered to monitor any activity coming off of it? No, see, this is the interesting thing. I mean, this Becquerel thing, I, I, I said that, I mean, this should be taken with a pinch of salt yeah. because, I, I mean, I don't know where they got that number from at all. They probably invented it from the initial, like, the assumed initial storage of it, but now... Yeah, I don't think they went down with, it, with the submarine yeah. and measured it. I mean, but yeah, they've put... Until they, I see uh, some yeah, hardcore evidence, yeah, yeah, then exactly. I'm not going to believe this 650... I want to see some caps. Was it? Gigabecquerel? <laughs> yeah, Gigabecquerel. And they, they've said that, by way of comparison, European tap water has uh, a limit of 10 Becquerels per litre. I so, drinking radioactivity. It, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that's the thing. Like, I don't... I mean, to me, a much more serious issue is the water leak at Fukushima. That's obviously come out, hasn't it? Have you, yeah. you guys... Read that in the news. So what do you think about that? I mean, it's. I briefly read it, but we're not having much luck, are we? Getting there. Getting no, but running. it's. They're bound to, aren't they? They're bound to have instances during the cleanup where stuff is going to go wrong. To be yeah. fair, 
they haven't it hasn't been that bad really it's been a few hours offline it's yeah. it's increased by one or two degrees it, for the time being it really hasn't been so much of an issue yeah, yeah. but you would think it's like it just follows this trend where they haven't put their their water pumps high enough when the tsunami came yeah it's a bad design you think they have like rat poison as well on hand at some point? It's, it can't be that expensive to invest in that. Oh, with all the it's rodents. It's happened a few times, yeah. It's basically yeah. the rats, it's the rodents. <laughs> the first one, they um, they found this charcoal piece of meat, which was a rat. He just he was chewing on the uh, the cables. Don't feel sorry for them. They're not squirrels. I mean, it's a difficult, it's a difficult problem, isn't it? Because they had contamination in the water supply, and I did an article for the site where they were sort of talking about remediation methods, yeah. like sticking algae in there that could actually uh, readily absorb, say, strontium, IT and stuff like that. Mm. Um, which is, I think is really cool that you're using natural organisms yeah. to. Uh, yeah. Now that's what I call environmental. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I what mean, what do you do with the algae afterwards? Pardon? What do you do with the yeah, algae afterwards? Changes, it changes, it changes oh, the chemical it changes composition. The yeah. well, it's not epic. dangerous anymore. It's pretty awesome. Yeah. But, um, it's lots of calories. I think this is a problem. Yeah, no, there is. It's going to change the world. Change. At the University of Manchester. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, th- I think this sort of, the, the sort of story... <laughs> uh, yeah. Hey, we are at University of Manchester. Uh, no, but I think that... This sort of addresses that there are many problems in waste management at the moment, but it's certainly not at the level it was 50, 60 years ago. You know, it's a completely different side. But it's waste management at an accident site as well. Yeah, so yeah, that, that's built. double, yeah, that's doubly hard. Yeah. But I think the thing going back to Germany is that, I mean, we store our waste now in storage facilities that are regulated, and we eventually hope to store it in long-term storage. But, you know, I, I, I think that's the be-all and end-all of it. You know, we're not dumping it in the sea anymore or anything like that, so... Yeah. yeah. Any anything else to say on that one? I'm no. still confident Japanese are sorted out. Yeah, I think they're, yeah, I think I think they're, they're on top fine. of it, and I think yeah. I think they've done a fantastic job in the circumstances up to now, especially yeah. especially with the media pressure that's been placed upon them to yeah. Yeah. you know perform well there. You know, all credit yeah. to them. Yeah. Um, yeah. We can definitely give you our word that there will be no more dumping of nuclear waste. Yes, categorically. <laughs> yes, Whatever. you can take that one yeah. to the bank. Uh, but anyway, let's move on. <laughs>
With the Beeb's recent panorama investigation of North Korea, which was in the press for all the wrong reasons, how have we arrived at this juncture with the Kim Jong dynasty? Parodied, ridiculed and mocked, they feel, by the West, the People's Republic, the People's Republic of Korea has felt maligned on the world stage. Is the development of a nuclear weapon simply a cry for help, a call for attention or a resolute call to arms? And what of the West's role in this power play? Have we exhausted our options in dealing with Korea? Or have we fundamentally misunderstood why they have lashed out in this way? How do we, how do we feel about Korea, guys? <sighs> oh, it's a, oh, it's a, it's a myriad of craziness. It is a cra- it's crazy, isn't it? <laughs> so what do, what do we think? <laughs> uh, I, I don't know, it's a tricky one. Mm. Because the way I see it, you have to take their government to one side and the people to another. Mm. The government should be destroyed. Where you can really destroy the government without hurting the civilians. I think they're already hurt, you know. They've got no food, mm. electricity, that all of the money is being pumped into a fruitless nuclear program that China are just gonna squash anyway. Mm. And he's, <laughs> he's making yeah. it even worse by like not agreeing to anything because the US have basically stopped their food aid yeah. which they were giving to North Korea. Yeah. So he's you know, starving his own people, basically. With, with that, then, do you think it's a serious threat, or do you think it's just mild rhetoric, or what? Do you think it's a genuine thing that we have to be concerned about? I think like a genuine situation. There's, like, I saw quite a few reports, and they do say their technology isn't exactly mature. So if they start yeah. like yeah. flying rockets with a warhead on it, and it, they lose control of it, and they do nuke somewhere by accident, then that could be very dangerous. But if the government over there loses control of their people with this internal conflict, mm. I think that's probably the highest risk. Maybe they will use nuclear power to really. Uh, but I think you say that, power. but yeah. I think people looking from the outside in, what they don't realise is that the reason why the state is so powerful is that they've indoctrinated their people to such an extent that yeah. they can't even yeah. rationalise any outside world. Mm. You know, like for instance, they had that famous. Um, Korean defector, I think it was a year ago or two, where he escaped a North Korean gulag and he came into Seoul in South Korea and he completely broke down. He had a complete mental breakdown because his mind simply couldn't process all the images around him, like people Mm. walking around televisions, iPads. It's as though he hadn't even seen it in his life. You know, I can imagine it. It's like time traveling. Yeah, I can imagine it being like a form of time travel. It'd just be absolutely crazy. There was a lady a couple of months ago, I'm sure, that. Did the same. She escaped yeah. with the promise of like salvation from the country. I don't, I don't think it was South Korea. I think it was more like possibly England or Germany or something. Yeah, there are there are. Um, yeah. But she was again completely. Horrible. But I think that's the thing. They have such a hold over their people. Completely oppressed. They just have absolutely no. And I think that's one something that the West underestimate. Well, I don't think they underestimate, but I think they fail yeah. to sort of realise sometimes is that regardless of whether the people disagree with policies or not with Korea, they have such an iron grip over their yeah. people in terms of their mindset that I think it's quite difficult. They're not allowed to leave the country, are they? That's like no. a, a capital punishment, isn't it? Yeah, they're not allowed to leave at all. Yeah, no. I think it's some serious consequences if yeah. you get caught leaving. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. But at the same time, you know, it might be a shock to them to be opened up to the Western world, but is that better than, is that worse than, like, not having enough food? And they're just like living in deprived areas, yeah. like complete poverty. I think I don't know if an intervention might be good, but I don't think America would want to do it. Yeah. <laughs> I think, but I think part part of the problem is America are just not even going to enter the discussion until they refuse to get rid of all their nuclear weapons. Yeah. And they do that, they should have a discussion and like talk to them. Yeah, I think I think like Kate, you've met, you've uh, 
been quite vocal on the show before about your position on nuclear weapons. Say no to nuclear weapons. <laughs> yeah, but how do you feel? How do you think it's a complete hypocrisy for America to be clamping well, down I think, on Korea? Again, is it? again, with the same thing with Iran, they can't possibly act like world police if they're not going to make any effort to reduce their nuclear weapons arsenal. Because why should other countries not have the defence? We either all have to have them or none of us mm-hmm, have to have agree. them. And my opinion, as you all know, none of us should have them. <laughs> yeah. Least of all people with like no technological capabilities. And people who are essentially, you know, I don't mean this in kind of doing it in a derogatory way, but they are completely mental and have absolutely no like logic to their lives. You know, starving your own people for a nuclear weapons program when you don't even have the technology to do it properly is ridiculous. I, I think and I just, a... I just, it mind boggles me that China don't do more to stop them because I think they're the only ones reasonably within the power at the moment. So. But I think there's a complete amorality about America's position because it strikes me as extremely hypocritical that they say that, uh, say, Iran attacking Israel or North Korea attacking South Korea is inherently immoral, but how is that any different than you bombing North Korea and Iran in the event that? They, yeah. they threaten to do that. Yeah. It's preemptive. Yeah, preemptive. Yeah. 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 Never mind, they're the only ones that have used nuclear weapons on this. In country. the past, yeah. anyway, yeah. 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 Compl- another but country. Let, I think let's not forget all the wars they've started in most of the countries around the world. The problem is, they adopt a policy... <laughs> Get on, America. They adopt a policy of, I think, what some people like to call the cane and the dunce's hat, essentially like a yeah. school class, a Victorian classroom mentality. So what they'll do is, is they'll say, we impose sanctions on you, i.e. go and sit in the corner... If you don't obey this, then you know we'll either mm. take away your food aid, make you feel maligned, mm. dumps his hat thing, and if you don't follow this, then we'll adopt a hard line, the cane type thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a policy that the America, I believe, you know, it's all it's all idealistic to turn around and say, hey, we're coming to the table and talking, but to me, they're not coming from the right angle or the right yeah, attitude. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? But also, you have to look at their point. You can't just start blowing up nukes here and there as well. Like North yeah. Korea clearly have stepped again too far and they threatened to nuke people yeah. as well. Mm-hmm. You, you just can't do that. You can't that's, take it lightly yeah. either, can yeah, you? Yeah, that, that's it. And the, the fear but, is they do have yeah. the capability. Yeah. And I think this raises an interesting point towards uh, Western attitudes on Trident now. Because I watched Question Time last week and normally, <laughs> no, but normally Trident is very divisive. Like, normally you'll get. A camp on question time, Jonathan Dimbley will be all turned around and half the audience like, no to try and yes to try it. And it was the weirdest scenario that I've ever seen in question time. Everyone agreed that the UK should keep Trident because someone turned around and said, it's better to have it and not need it than need it and not have it, which I've never heard before. No, no, what they should time. invest in is Iron Dome or something to stop missiles hitting or yeah. destroying them. Or yeah, But we wouldn't need it if everyone else had stopped having it. And I think... I think this is getting on to the second point then is do you think we've fundamentally misunderstood the problem do you think it's about nuclear weapons or do you think it's about an underlying I think it's just a cry for attention oh yeah it's definitely a cry for attention yeah he, North when did, has he only been charged like North a year <laughs> <laughs> pardon <laughs> when did um, yeah Kim Jong Un's pretty much been charged for a year so he's yeah. just showing off he'll probably die down hopefully yeah. but that again that sort of other side of the argument is that is a dangerous game to play because he's clearly a leader who's trying to cement his position mm. in amongst the government yeah. his own people 
surely he might be inclined to take greater risks being at a younger age and inexperienced than his father. I think he just had to show his, you know, his authority and the fact that he was just put in a powerful position. Of, mm. you know, and but how far him. does he have to go to impress other people yeah. in his government? How the mm. other people he's trying to impress in his government? How how crazy are they if he's mm. willing to yeah. go that far? To, Pretty crazy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> when he flipped her mind straight away and said things are going to be different now, I want to sit down and have. It's like they had the industrial site. They could have expanded it with South Korea. Mm. There would have been much better ways. Mm. Bring more wealth Mm. so you could then give more money to your general. But I think think where I feel they fundamentally misunderstood the problem is that it all harkens back really to the Korean War. So the idea that um, the South obviously fought against the North, the North were aligned with the Chinese and the Russian governments, and the US with the South. If I'm right in thinking that, yeah. Yeah. And it was like a, it was a proxy Cold War, wasn't it? It was a proxy war for the Cold War, essentially. But what happened there is when they left, is that no peace treaty was arrived at, yeah. no recognition of independence for North Korea as a state, or no unification of Korea as one state, um, be it albeit on the other side of the fence. So sorry, are we still talking about Korea or Afghanistan, Iraq? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but that's the same. It's the same. I, the America and the West, I don't think, ever seem to learn that lesson with going into countries pro democracy, let's fight for justice and all this stuff. Not realizing that some countries have got deep rooted attitudes and beliefs on the poli- on their own political system. Yeah. Well, yeah, they get there, have a fight for like twelve years, everyone gets annoyed, and then they just think, oh, okay, kind of give up now, we should leave, and then they just leave the country in complete but, but, turmoil. And then what do they expect? But do you think this if they tackled these fundamental? Sort of what's called it, cultural problems. If they went to the table with that initially, as opposed to the nuclear argument, or do you th- do you think nuclear, that would change? Like, do you think okay. Korea might then be less inclined to adopt the weapons have to be policy? Nuclear, it's just the, like the fighting attitude. If, if they actually had some intelligent people in America to actually sit down with people, and instead of just going in guns blazing, I'm just going to start a war on you. You know, their answer to everything is drop a bomb, get some guns go and shoot some people, instead of actually having an educated conversation with people. It's been proven time and time again that that works far better than starting a war with someone. Well, so continuing on that point, the the Americans have always seemed very aggressive towards the Chinese. So how can they then go to the Chinese and ask, well, actually, can you help us with the North Korean situation? Yeah, exactly. I think this raises an interesting point is that to me it's an underlying attitude problem but again as I said the cultural problem I feel if they came to the table with the peace treaty and sort of trying to put to bed this latent sort of animosity between the two countries that has evolved since the Korean War conflict if they'd have come to the table earlier with that as opposed to patronising them with you can't have nuclear weapons but we can I don't know but it could be argued that the situation may be different now. It may be that Korea may felt may have felt less inclined to adopt a sort of uh, sort of uh, war economy sort of stance, if you will. I don't think South Korea particularly bothered about nuclear weapons. They're putting a lot of effort into molten salt reactors. South and ge- Korea, and South Korea, and generally trying to get a good nuclear energy system going in their country. They're, they're they getting the help from the England and the UK and America scientific people are going over there to try and help them get all of that started they've got no interest in nuclear weapons they just want to create an energy market for themselves and then there's just North Korea acting like bratty children yeah. essentially well, with no that, one's actually doing anything like educated to try and stop them behaving like that it's well just, 
with that then, what what did you think of going on to a different point? What did, did you guys see the BBC Panorama mm. yep. documentary yeah. on North Korea? You haven't seen it? No. Don't worry, don't worry. <laughs> Do you, oh, I haven't seen Sorry. it. So what did you guys think of that then? It was sad. Really sad. But did you think it told you anything that you didn't know already? No, it just highlighted the problem once again. Yeah. What did you think, was he? Yeah, same. Like, I kind of imagined how it was. Someone described it to me as Alan Partridge does Panorama. You know when he came, he <laughs> says bit, yeah. he lent on it. He lent on Sophie. Those of you out there, I've linked it on on the site in the podcast preview. But there's a moment, there's a moment in the documentary. He leans on the fence and he looks into the poverty stricken area yeah, of North yeah. Korea. And the camera pans out and he says, "Welcome to the real Korea." And he just sort of turns his yeah, head. Is it really out of focus? <laughs> yeah, really out of focus in the shot. And, yeah. and there's another bit where he uh, he mentions uh, having a photo with the North Korean uh, oh, soldier, doesn't yeah. he? He goes, I was uh, hugging a North Korean soldier. How he did not know that I was really a journalist. I was like, oh, God. It was like he wasn't cheesy... really a soldier. He was sort of showing him around. Yeah, yeah, I was like, he's showing him around. He's a tour guide. Yeah, he was a tour guide. Yeah. Yeah, really but, really. An old I mean, man in a museum. Like, yeah. there, was, there was one... There, I suppose there was one particular thread that I got on it, which I was surprised he didn't focus on more, was sort of all the posters around were geared towards um, all the propaganda posters were attacking US Marines. There was oh, sort yeah. of an underlying like current of. Yeah. And the interesting thing I found is these US Marines weren't like present day, but like new posters around North Korea. weren't portrayed as. Um, oh, it's the old school. Yeah, yeah they were old school, sort 1950s, of, you know. 1960s yeah, US yeah. Marines. So I, again, I feel that, that latent. Feeling an under a deep rooted aggression is rooted in the Korean War, you know, and I think that it's not going to go away unless America comes to some sort of decision as to what should be done with the two countries, you know, the North yeah. and the South. But anything else really to say on that, guys? Have we? We, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Not that we condone that. Uh, I, you mentioned that flogging a dead horse last time. Someone mentioned it. A couple of episodes. I think it might have been you, man. <laughs> we don't condone condone animal cruelty in any way. Anyway, guys, fishing. except fishing. Yes, except fishing. fishing. But anyway, guys, we hope you've enjoyed that. And make sure you tweet us news stories, anything like we can mention on the next show. If you've got any questions, do tweet us. I mean, we do get a few regular tweeters who do tweet us questions, but don't hesitate to contact us if you want us to speak about something on the show or if you want to write a blog. So I've had a few requests in the last month for a blog post. We we put one up uh, one up recently on um, nuclear propulsion technology in space. Really interesting article. Go up on the website; it's there for you to read from a chap from Edinburgh University it's a great little article and yeah just keep watching and really hope you enjoy it and we'll see you next time but anyway it's bye from us bye 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 Bye, North Korea